Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi guys. I hope you're all doing well. I'm sure you can guess how I'm doing. Yes, I'm really excited to be here with you today to talk about the fourth episode of the second season of Downton Abbey. I can remember when I recorded episode one of season one. I mean, time moves way too fast. But anyway, like usual, not gonna make a very long introduction because we're gonna be here together for a while. This episode, I called it the one with the only boy. So let's start, shall we? Last episode, we had a new fight, Isabel versus Cora. So we're gonna start this episode by talking about Isabel. So Isabel arrives at the Abbey a bit late. And when she arrives, she wants to help, like Edith just talked about a concert. She wants to help, but Cora just intervenes and said, well, Edith has it under control. So we realize that it's Cora who's in charge now, you know, because they're supposed to share the responsibilities. We saw that last episode. You can see that she has more self-confidence than she had. Or maybe she always had it, but we never really saw it. And so, like I said, she arrived a bit late. And so they already went around with Dr. Clarkson without Isabel. So she feels a bit left out. Like, why did you wait for me? And Cora's like, well, why should we have waited for you? You see that she tries to talk to Cora, but Cora's like, well, I am busy another time. So at that moment, Isabel feels like a spare part, a bit like what Cora felt when the house just turned into a convalescence home, you know, when, when they brought the beds and she didn't know where they were going to live. So they kind of, like, the situation is a bit reversed here. And Isabel goes into the kitchen and she realizes that Mrs. Papmore is disobeying her instructions and she wants to know why. So Mrs. Hughes comes to try to help. And says that they changed the luncheon hours. Well, Cora changed them because apparently the servants ate way too early and so it was not fair for them. But she said nothing to Isabel. And apparently she changed also the timetable of the nurses. Well, she kind of changed everything so it would be better for everybody. And she thought about her servants first. So Isabel is angry. And I like it because um, this scene is a good parallel to the scene where last episode Cora was angry. You know, when she went to the servants hall to talk to Isabel because she realized that Isabel was giving orders to her servants. And now it's kind of the opposite. And I like what Mrs. Hughes says to Mrs. Patmore. You know, it was a question of when. Like we knew that at the moment this would explode. And this scene, I love it so much. Isabel goes to see Cora and Cora is at her desk writing something and she's very busy because when Isabel comes in she says can I have a word and Cora's like well can you wait because I'm busy and she's like no <laughs> okay <gasps> and oh my god this is so good Cora's expressions are just the best her facial expressions are just oh, so good and Isabel she goes for it so she says that you know, they changed the timetables the luncheon hours and Actually, like I said, Cora, she thought about her servants first. Yeah, but they had to eat really early. So they would starve until they would have their tea. So it seemed not really fair for them. 
so I changed it and now it's better because, uh, you know, it's kind of cool for everybody. And Isabel, I mean, what she says. Of course, it would be foolish to accuse you of being unprofessional since you've never had a profession in your life. No, just a minute. You may think that you have the right to ordain the universe, but in this field... No, not in this field. In this house, yes, I do have the right given me by Dr. Clarkson and by the law of the land. This is my house and I am in charge right alongside you. And if you would stop your bullying... That's enough. I will not listen to this. If I am not appreciated here, I will seek some other place where I will make a difference. Good. I mean it. I cannot operate where I am not valued. You must see that. Certainly. I shall go. I will. Perhaps it would be best. I repeat, I mean it. I'm sure you do. And so do I. I absolutely love this whole scene. Each episode that I make are getting longer and the clips that I put in it are getting longer too, but I'm sorry. It's just way too good. And they, like I said, they say the lines way better than I do. And this scene is just absolutely amazing. And I think I like it even more because someone, God, I can't remember who did that on Tumblr, kind of make comments during the scene. And it's just so funny. I need to find that again because God, this was funny. Anyway, I like it because Isabel, she kind of thinks she's important and needed because her threats to go, I'm going to go. And she thought that Cora would say, oh no, please don't go. I need you. But the truth is she doesn't because she say it like three times. I mean, I would go and say, yeah, okay, go. Yes, I can see that. Perhaps it would be best. Okay. I'm sure you're serious when you say you're going to go. So go. Bye-bye. And... A comment that Julian said in a script book, he said, never make a threat that you're not prepared to carry out. And this is exactly what Isabel did. She never thought that Cora wanted her to leave. Because Cora usually, she, I'm not saying that she's not nice here, but she's always the one that tries to keep everything calm or cool or to like rectify the situation. And at that moment, well, since the last episode, she's like, I don't care. So yeah, so actually... <laughs> Now, uh, Isabel, she has to go. Well, she has. No, but, you know, she didn't really plan it. And, well, I'm going to say that now. You know, it's like a ritual in every episode. Angry Cora. I love it. And her eyes. I mean, the expressions of her eyes are just so, oh, so good. I mean, I love her. And I really like this dress. It's really simple. And she wears it a lot in season two. But I really like it. I said again, but the style and goes really well with her figure. I love it in the hair and her eyes. So yeah, we can close this chapter. Well, maybe not. It's never really close, you know, the chapter of me loving Cora. But anyway, so Isabel, she tries to find like a friend somewhere else. So she goes to see Dr. Clarkson, but he's kind of on Cora's side because he says, well, it is her house. In his right, it is her House, I mean, I'm not going to say again what I said last episode when Robert, you know, got angry, but it is true, it is her house. So I'm not going to say she can do whatever she wants with it, but kind of. And I'm not going to say that Isabel is snobbish because she's not, but how she speaks about people from the aristocracy kind of makes her a bit snobbish. I don't know how to say that, but you know, when she says, um, oh, you're like everyone else and you think that because she's a countess, she has acquired universal knowledge by divine intervention. Cora never thought about it. Um, she's definitely not someone that are going to put the fact that she's a countess before everything else. So she's not going to use where well, she kind of used the fact that she was for bringing Thomas back. But it's not something she just does regularly, you know. 
she's definitely not like that so i'm like just a minute calm down okay and she never said it she even said okay in this field maybe i don't know anything but it's still my house so please she never said that she knew everything she wanted to rule the house with barrow because he was her choice but kind of o'brien's choice but anyway and because he had medical training and that's what Claxon said you know the house needs to be ruled by someone who had medical training and she knows it so saying about her that she you know has universal knowledge just because she's a countess that would be well wrong and like i said it's cora she's one of the nicest people in this house so please a bit of respect and so um Isabel says that she's going to leave for northern France because she wants to be useful and there's something with uh, the Red Cross and so she wants to go there to help. And actually, this whole storyline about Isabel leaving was because Penelope Wheaton, so the actress who plays Isabel, um, she was cast in a play in London and so they made this storyline of Isabel going to France so that her character would be gone for a bit so that it would allow her to rehearse for the play and then for the rest of the season she combined the two like she was filming by day and on stage at night so yeah just a little fact and when she leaves i really like this scene when mrs bird and mr mosley um they see her off i think it was very emotional because we see more of the big house with all the servants and stuff but this is a little house and the only servants that are in it is Mrs. Bird the cook and Mr. Mosley and maybe just one or two maids from time to time. But I thought it was emotional because she knows them because they're always together. Like it's really a small party, I can say. So yeah, I thought it was uh, quite emotional. But so she leaves. And I'm just going to say, I think Cora is kind of pleased. Because if she didn't, well, I don't want to imagine what could have happened if she stayed. So let's talk a bit about life at the house. Why it's happening. So yeah, I talked about the concert. And it's the officers. They are organizing a concert. And they want Mary and Edith to participate. Because they want to have girls to participate. Because uh, the officers, they're only men. So they want girls. And at first, Mary, she doesn't want it. She's like, oh, must I? You know how she is. Obviously, she will do it because her mother asked her to. And there's a scene where Mary and Edith, they are rehearsing the song. Mary is singing and Edith is playing the piano. And Robert comes in because he wants to speak to Mary, but he comes in and he looks at them. He looks so proud. I like it. Obviously, in the house, they're not alone. And last episode, the question was, where will the officers eat? Uh, first, they wanted... Uh, them to eat in the dining room with the family Robert said no so they are eating in the grey hall during dinner when they are eating you can hear noises from well, the hall <laughs> Violet because she always has the best lines she says it's like living in a second rate hotel where the guests keep arriving and no one seems to leave I'm sure maybe at the end you're used to it but it can be really tiring and again I'm I'm going to say it's the least they can do to uh, have the war effort. But it is a law. I mean, like I said, it's their house and they want to have a nice dinner uh, with their family. And well, you can't really, like, it's not quiet like it used to. 
But then downstairs, you can't change things a bit because now Thomas is in charge. Well, it's not Thomas, it's Sergeant Barrow, well, acting Sergeant, but anyway. And he treats Daisy like a slave, almost. I exaggerate a bit, but because he's a bit angry at her because she talked about a letter that he had and we're going to talk about that, we're going to talk about Bates, but he's a bit angry at her. Really, it's like, well, get me some tea. And she's like, well, can't you make it yourself? Because, yeah, she's a servant, but she's not like his servant. But I like the fact that she is a bit more, like she stands for herself a bit more. She's not afraid of Thomas like she used to. Well, not saying she was afraid of, of him, but she was so in love with him that, you know, she didn't want it to uh, get cross with him. And now she doesn't really care. And I like that. I mean, she grew and that is good. Well, so everyone saw how he treated her. And so Mrs. Hughes, she had a word with Dr. Clarkson to ask him to put Thomas back in his place, which he does. And obviously because Clarkson, he is his superior, he has to obey. And I like the fact that he does it because Mrs. Hughes asked him to. I really like this little scene between the two of them. You realize that he's a bit closer to the servants than to the aristocrats, you know, because doctors, well, technically doctors aren't aristocrats. We talked about it in the first episode when Robert, he found odd that his cousin was a doctor because like I said doctor they never really were from dynasties and so because Mrs. Hughes she um well she thanks him and she says to him he's getting grander than Lady Mary and that's saying something and I think that is really funny you can see that he smiles a bit Dr. Clarkson and she wouldn't have never said that if there wasn't a kind of a relationship of trust between them and I think because he's a doctor you kind of trust him a bit because he's the local doctor so if you're like ill you must have come to him a lot and that again that makes you realize that he's not part of downstairs but he's not part of the upstairs neither he's kind of an in-between a bit like Matthew actually Matthew and Isabel the middle class or upper middle class and let's talk about Cobert for a second because we do not have a lot of Cobert scenes in this episode but there were two scenes that were cut. Why? I don't know. But anyway, I mean, I've seen a lot of COVID scenes that were cut. So let's just say that apparently the people that decided which scenes are reported or not are not COVID cheapers. But anyway, and I thought this scene was not super important, but kind of important to understand where they are in their relationship at that moment. Because like I said, I said it a lot, but season two, a hard season for COVID. The first one, she says to him that she wants to have her luncheon on the tray from now on because she has too much to do and she can't have her lunch uh, with everyone because it takes more than an hour and she doesn't have time for that. And so obviously he's like a bit, mm, why not, Yana? And she's like, well, you have the girls, you can have the girls, you know, to eat with them, it'd be all right. And obviously he's a bit grumpy because that's Robert. And then another scene is when they are in Cora's bedroom they were supposed to go to some people's house and she says that he will have to go on his own because she has a lot to do. Actually, there will be a scene uh, next episode or episode after that, a bit similar. So she says, you have to go on your own because I can't go with you. And he says, I hate going to things without you. And she answers, that's sweet, but there's a war on in case you hadn't noticed. We can't have it all our own way. And so to comment a bit about those scenes and their couple and it's a bit, um, so some of my reflections or things that Julian said, Robert doesn't really give his wife credit for what she's doing. 
that is a fact. And I know he's depressed, okay? I know he's not in a good place right now. And I think there's a lack of communication between the two of them. I think uh, neither of them really understood the other at that moment. But Julian said something about the fact that this generation, they were so used to have their wives taking care of them, or the women, uh, even like in a larger scale, taking care of them and without showing what happened behind the curtain, if I can say like that. Like he said a story about his mother doing something and then before dinner she just changed and put a nice dress and act like nothing happened before. And the men didn't really notice what women did, you know. And so I think he didn't realize the amount of work that she's doing. And she's really doing something. He can only see the fact that she's not taking care of him. And I don't think he's even really interested in what she's doing. And that, I think, is the problem. Because if he, instead of telling her and being grumpy about the fact that she doesn't want to eat lunch with him or that she can't go to someone's place with him, instead of being grumpy and say, oh, I don't want to go without you, he could say, oh, you have a lot of work. What are you doing? I don't know. Maybe get interested in what she's doing. It's the way he says it because he sounds like a sport child. You know, like, oh, I don't want to go without you. So I think he doesn't use the right words. And on the other hand, I think Kawashi doesn't really realize how depressed he is about everything. Because it's not just the war. It's where, you know, he parted badly with Bates and then Matthew is at war. And then Mary, she wants to marry Carlyle, but he's like, I don't like the guy. And, you know, it's a lot. And the problem is that they do not speak because I think that's the problem. But he, he's lost, but I'm not sure she understood how, like, the level of depression, like, the, the seriousness of his condition. But that does not excuse the fact that I think he kind of took his wife for granted. Like, she was always here to take care of him, and now that she has something to do, well, she's a bit less here for him. And he feels bad because he doesn't have anything to do, because he's not at war. So he's like, I'm useless, and now even my wife doesn't really care about me. I don't know if you understand what I try to say, but I think there's really a problem of communication between them. And it kind of makes me think a bit about Ross and Rachel in France. Let me explain. So we know that Ross, he was like madly in love with Rachel. And when he started going out with her, he kept saying that she was kind of a sport child, which she was. And she never really worked before where the show started. And after when they got together and she finally had a job that she loved, he made her feel bad because she didn't have time for him anymore. You know, he kind of went like, oh, you're always working. And she kind of took it badly because firstly, he kind of made fun of her because she never really worked in her life and stuff like that. And now she finally had a job that she loved. Like she, she could count her and not just her parents' money, like the money that she earned was hers. And she had a job that she loved and she was happy in it. He felt bad because she didn't have time for him. And instead of supporting her and say, yes, girl, I love you. And this is great. You do a job that you love. He made her feel bad. And then they kind of, you know, they argued. And then that led to the break. Well, Cora and Robert, they're not on the break technically. But it kind of makes me think a bit about that. Because we're going to see it in the next episodes. But you really have the way Robert acts. is really like the sport child being like, you left me. Like, you abandoned me, you know? I need you. Like, you're a grown man. You can go to some friends alone. And then you realize that the people that actually socialize are 
women. You know, they're the one that organize the parties and dinners. So actually, the men are lost without their wives. That is actually, I think, kind of a summary. Well, it depends uh, who your wife is and who your husband is, but that is definitely Robert's case. If you have seen Friends, we all know what happened when they were on a break. Well, for Cora and Robert, just have to wait and see. I hope you understood what I tried to say here, and I'm sorry if uh, it's a bit messed up. And to end with the life at the house now that they're a convalescence home, funny comment by Cora and Violet, because during the concert, so Edith and Mary played a double act, which, I mean, might have never happened ever. Even Mary said so, so it's really rare to see us together. And Cora, she says, It's a unicorn if ever there was one. Which I think was really funny. And Violet. Well, now I've seen everything. Her expression. I mean, Violet, she's so funny. Oh, God, I love it. So let's talk a bit about the servants now. Ethel, you remember? Ethel that started flirting with Major Bryant. Well, she still flirts with him. And now Edith sees it. And Mrs. Hughes too, like they both see her flirting. And they're like, I'd not feel good about this. Actually, there was a scene that was cut where Edith says to Mrs. Hughes that she saw some flirting between Major Bryant and Ethel, but she even tells her that maybe you should not blame the maids, more the officers, because they can manipulate the maids easily or something like that. Like She doesn't want to blame Ethel, she wants to put the blame on him. And even in the scene when Major Bryant says, you shouldn't blame her, and she's like, I don't, like my issue is with you. <laughs> And then while Ethel, she's still on her, well, Thomas, you know, like, you're free, you escaped service and stuff. And she says in the servants that she wants a new adventure. And she says, well, Bates, he will never come back because he's free. You're free too. And I want a new adventure. And well, O'Brien, she doesn't like her. We know that for quite a while now. And she says to her, well, you know what they say, be careful what you wish for. And again, I'm not against Ethel wanting to have another life something more it's just how she acts that gets on my nerve because yeah she she really acts sometimes she's superior than everybody else but she never think about the consequences of her actions then mosley one night he talks with mrs hughes and he says that he think he saw an officer in the maid's staircase and he th i'm sure it's nothing and she's like yeah i'm sure it's nothing so obviously mrs hughes well she's not stupid she thinks who I mean, it can only be one person. So she goes to um, into the maid's corridor and she goes to see if Ethel is in her bedroom and she is not. And then she enters another room because she heard noises and Ethel was there with Bryant. I really like it when people are caught red-handed like that. They always say, it's not what you think. And you're like, yeah, what are we supposed to think? And Mrs. Hughes, her answer. I know precisely what you were doing, Major. I may not be a woman of the world, but I don't live in a sack. Obviously, she's not stupid. She knows exactly what they were doing. I mean, they were like naked together, so there's not like room for misinterpretation. And she says to Ethel that she's dismissed without a reference that she actually leave the house uh, the next morning. And Ethel, she says, I didn't think I No, and that's the problem. You never do. And Maybe people might think that it's a bit cruel, but I think Ethel had a lot of warning. I'm sad that it ends up like this for her. 
And I'm sad that the word isn't fair. I would say that that way. But people gave her enough warning. And again, she didn't thought. I think that's her issue. And well, now she has to leave. And living without a reference is hard because then to find job again, well, it's hard. And Anna, she doesn't understand. She, what did you do? Because Mrs. Hsu, she's not a bad person. You must have done something really horrible. And so Anna, she tries to speak with Mrs. Hughes and to make her change her mind. But Mrs. Hughes like, yeah, she should be sorry about what she did because it cost her her job. And well, remember about the whole she didn't thought about the consequences of her actions? Well, she got sacked. But then at the end of the episode, she went to see Mrs. Hughes and she says that she needs help. She even says, Mrs. Hughes, you've got to help me. And Mrs. Hughes like, I don't think I have to do anything which it's true, like she doesn't owe her anything. I like how the whole scene is made, you know, because she says that it's about Major Bryant. And Mrs. Hughes says, well, how long has it been going on? Long enough to get me pregnant. Mrs. Hughes, I'm going to have a baby. Well, that's a consequence. And I think that's a stronger consequence than just being sacked. So now we do have a problem because she will have a baby, but she doesn't have a job. And she doesn't have a reference. And she can't really find a job now just she's pregnant or it would be difficult. And I can understand why she needs Mrs. Hughes' help, actually. Now it's time for my French word of the day. And so my French word is pregnant. It's not the first time that we heard pregnant, you know, because Cora was pregnant before O'Brien killed her baby. So in French, pregnant is enceinte. It's written E-N-C-E-I-N-T-E. But fun fact, the word enceinte, written exactly the same way, also means speakers. I have no idea why it's the same word, okay? But it's the same. And I thought it was funny, that's why I put it here. So, Isabel is gone. So Mr. Mosley and Mrs. Bird, they're alone. And they're bored. You can see, like Mrs. Bird's like, we've cleaned everything three times. Mr. Mosley said, well, everything is in order. I think that they're looking for work. And when they're in the kitchen, they're talking. And then a man enters and he said he wants some spare food. And so you realize he's a war survivor and he used to work at the farm, but now he's not because he's been wounded. And so Mrs. Bird, she says that she might have something for him. And you realize that you kind of forgot them because you have the officers coming in. And you remember when Sybil said, why should we only have officers? Because all the men have been wounded and they all serve their country. But this man is the other category. is the non-officers that went to war, came back. And usually we forgot about the came back because a part of us said, oh, you came back alive. Yeah, but in which states did you come back alive? Like, because... He used to work at the farm. How can you work at the farm if he can't really walk? It's like Lieutenant Courtney, you know, that went blind and uh, who killed himself. I really like this storyline. Because then Daisy and Mrs. Papmo, they work together in the village. And I just like this exchange because Mrs. Papmo said, I had to get out of this kitchen because otherwise I would have gone mad. And he said, well, it's a lot of extra work. And it's true. Like I said, they already do a lot. And now they have the food for the officers to do as well. So it's so much work. And I can understand that she needs to go out a bit. And they see men coming into Crowley House. They're like, what is happening? So Mrs. Bird, she explains to them that first there were just this man that came. And then he brought a friend. And then, I mean, they everyone talked, oh, you can have food there. 
And so she gives them food, but she feeds them with her own money. And Mrs. Papmoche is like, well, <laughs> I mean, come on. They serve their country too. We have food for the army. We're going to help you and we're going to take food from the house to give them because that's not fair. And I'm on their side. That's not fair that they can't have something to eat just because, well, they were from the people, like the smaller social classes. So like I said, they decided to help her. And in the kitchen, there's chicken on the plate. And Mrs. Papmore says to Daisy, put them in the special storage area. So it sounds a bit suspicious. And obviously, if there's something that sounds a bit suspicious, who's here to hear it? O'Brien. And so O'Brien, so she heard about the special storage area. So she talks to Mrs. Hughes about it. She said, I just wanted to know if she knew something about this. And obviously Mrs. Hughes, she doesn't know. But she doesn't want to give Ryan the pleasure to make her realize that there's something suspicious. She said, well, Mrs. Papmore, she has a way of doing things. And, you know, she has a way. I have mine. And, you know, get on with it. But, I mean, she can't just let it go. So when Daisy and Mrs. Papmore, they go to Crowley House and they have baskets with all food in it. And O'Brien, she follows them. And she has to tell Cora. But Cora, she's... She's surprised. Like, she doesn't really want to believe it because O'Brien thinks she, Miss Patmore, says food to Mrs. Bird. And Chris like, but why? I don't understand. And sh she's curious because she, she doesn't really understand. And so she says, next time, come and fetch me and I want to see what is happening. And this, oh my God, I love this scene. So we had Crawley House and you have Mr. Mosley, Mrs. Bird, Miss Patmore, Daisy. They prepare everything for... The arrival of the men and Corinne and O'Brien, they come in. They arrive slowly and, well, I already said it, but Cora, with her tall and slim figure, so elegant. I love the image that we have. Crawley House is smaller than Downton Abbey. And so, oh, she feels almost too big for the place, but like she has a queen vibe, okay? She, she feels like a queen. She's calm. And she's like, I want to know what it is and she realized yeah it's not some sort of commercial thing it's not that so they explained to her what it is and said so we feed these men once a week and we're not ashamed of it because they serve their country so um we do that because they need us um and then they said well we only use the food the army pays for because where they serve their country too and it's not right if officers can eat and not the others and so they all wait like, oh my God, what she's going to do, what she's going to do. And she says that in the future, she would prefer that they use food paid by the house. And O'Brien, she's astonished. You mean you're going to let them get away with it? Oh, more than that, I'm going to help them. And so are you. Oh my God. And then she even rearranged things. She's like, well, if you put this table there, then we will have two lines. It will go faster. It will be better. Oh my God, she's just the best. And I love the fact that no, O'Brien, she thought that she knew her, but she realized that she doesn't. And I love it because I'm not going to say that Cora is unpredictable because if you know her truly, you realize that she would never be angry about it. But I love the fact that she can be unpredictable to O'Brien because she thought, O'Brien thought that she would be angry. And I love it. And I think it's so sweet. I really love this scene. And I love Cora. So we said that Mr. Mosley was bored because he has nothing to do since Isabel left. Well, he, I think he doesn't have a lot to do since Matthew left because he was his valet and then he was a 
kind of a butler, but uh, you know, if there's just Isabel, well, you don't have, you don't really have much to do. So he decides to come to the big house to help because he knows that Robert doesn't have a valet. So he goes to see Carson and he brushes Robert's uniform. And you realize that what he wants is for them to kind of ask him, oh, maybe you can be his lordship's valet, you know? He doesn't say it that way, but the way he helps, he does some mending again for his lordship. Like, you realize he does a lot of things so that they would ask him to be Robert's valet. And he even has a chat with Mrs. Hughes just before he says that he's so um, an officer in the maid's staircase. You know, and she says, well, she doesn't see why he can't be Robert's valet because he needs one. And Mr. Carson, he already has a lot to do, so why not? And then he talks about it with Mrs. Bird and he's like, well, maybe I'm a bit nervous. Or I don't know. Mrs. Bird's like, well, you will enjoy it. Look at you, Mr. Mosley, Valet, or Lord Grantham. Like, they really, she's like, I'm as proud of him. Say, so, you know, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. And so the next day, the day that he's supposed to start, he arrives uh, to dress Robert. But unfortunately for him, Bates is back and he's back for good. So, well, Mosley was supposed to start the night that Bates came back. You realize he is disappointed, but he doesn't really want to show it. So when Bates is back, he's like, oh, well, you should be relieved to see me because now you don't have to dress. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm relieved because I have so many things to do. Like, yeah. And you feel, I mean, I feel really bad for him because, yeah, because I just love Mosley. And you think like he has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Like, is the way Kevin Doll portrays him is just so, yeah, melancholic and, and sad and, I don't know, like, unlucky. Like, Calimero's situation. Like, you think the guy is unlucky. And, yeah, well, poor Mr. Mosley. Well, it will come. I mean, come on. Hang on, Mr. Mosley. Your time will come. Not that you have to wait, but your time will come. Bananas. Like I said, Bates is back. Well, we know because last episode... Anna, she saw him in the village and he's working in a pub and he says that he thinks he can divorce his wife and then they can be together and, you know, everything will be fine in the end. <laughs> That's what they think. And Thomas, he had a letter from a friend and he talks about it with O'Brien while they're smoking, you know, smoking, plotting. That's their favorite things to do. And he says, well, Bates works in the pub and they're like, but do you think he's going to come back? And said, so, well, we don't know. So they talk about it. And this moment, Thomas says something about uh, Mr. Lang. He calls him the loony one. And O'Brien, she takes his defense. She says, do not speak ill of Mr. Lang. And Thomas is like, well, I don't understand you. But anyway, it's at that moment that Daisy, she heard about Bates working in the pub. And so when she has a chat with Mrs. Hughes, she just mentions that. Just mentions that Bates is working in the pub. But Mrs. Hughes, she didn't know. So she takes Daisy to see Mr. Carson. Mr. Carson is like, Mr. Bates working in a public house. Mr. Bates, former valet of Lord Grantham, working in a public house. Like, this is this must be a joke. He's angry. Daisy's like, I thought everybody knew. And he's like, well, I'm going to have a word with Thomas. And actually, Robert comes downstairs to have a chat with Thomas about Bates. And he's really upset that Thomas has kept the information. But now they know. And so... Robert, he wants to say it to Anna, but he realized that Anna, she already knows. 
And I really love this scene because, well, she says that Bates isn't back for two reasons. The first is because he wants to settle things with Mrs. Bates first. The second is because he parted badly with Robert and he thought it might be embarrassing to come back. And so now Robert, he feels a bit bad because he says it is I who should feel embarrassed because now he realized that he was angry at Bates, but Bates, he left to protect the honor of his family. And so during dinner, Robert says he needs the car because he heard that Bates is working at the public house and he wants to investigate. And Violet, she says, I can't decide which part of that speech is the most extraordinary. And... Well, I already said it, Cora, she doesn't really like Bates. And so she asks him why he wants to see him. And he says it's uh, mostly because he wants to apologize because they parted badly. And Cora says, well, I'm sure it's his fault. He says, no, it's mine. And again, I said it last episode, but I think the way that Cora sees Bates, it's a bit, well, it's a bit because of O'Brien, you know. But I think it's a bit because of Robert too, because he never told her that Thomas was the villain in the story. Because, you know, if you said it since the beginning, it's Thomas the thief and with O'Brien, they plotted to get Bates sacked because he said it in a, he said it quickly once, but never, he never said it properly. He said so to, to Carson, you know, that uh, her ladyship is ignorant of Thomas's crimes. And I think that if she knew that, well, I said it already, but maybe she would have, like Bates better and because he didn't say to her that he left because his wife threatened to expose his family to scandal he didn't say that because he doesn't know that Cora knows the scandal because I think if she knew that that he left to protect the whole family she would worship the guy okay because first where he saved the honor of her family and of Mary. And second, he didn't say anything to Robert. So, you know, I think he needs to stop thinking that he has to protect his wife of everything. You know, every time I think about what he says about, you know, we must have a care for feminine sensibilities that are more fragile than our own. <laughs> really, Robert, everyone, everyone wants to spare him the scandal. He's the only one that doesn't know. And he thinks he's the one that, you know, I'm not going to talk about my wife, but the scandal. I don't know what it is, but I don't want, you know, to upset her. <laughs> oh, God, I think it's funny. But anyway, Robert, he goes to see Bates at the pub. I absolutely love this scene. I love it because it's really two friends talking. You realize that Robert, he can say things to Bates who never say to anybody, not even his wife. Well, I do think that Robert, it can be truly himself when he's alone with Cora, but definitely not in season two. Season two, it's really tricky. And I think Bates is one of his closest friends because I do believe that they're friends. So Bates says to him that he can't divorce his wife. And so, yeah, and he says that she won't tell the scandal because I will offer her plenty of money, but he doesn't want to say the scandal. So again, Robert is the only one who doesn't know. And then Robert, he tells Bates about Matthew because Matthew is missing. We're going to talk about that later. But I mean, he speaks open heartedly, really. And this kind of makes me think about that scene in the episode seven of season one when he cries in front of Bates. Because then he says, you know, To be honest, Bates, I don't think I can bear it. Losing Patrick was bad enough. But now the thought of Matthew gone 
and the future once again destroyed. More than all that, I loved him like a son. No, I love him. Let's stay in the present tense while we still can. I don't know why this scene, it really moves me because well, it's Mary who said so um, in season one, said, you know, why would he change the entire because he has a son now? But he does think of Matthew like a son. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's really moving. And so then he says to Beza, he wants him back. And he said, will you help me through the veil of shadow? Again, very poetic. I mean, Robert is definitely a poet. I think Bates would be, we not make him happier, but he feels so bad about himself that Bates would be, well, like he says, you know, it will help him through the veil of shadow. Like it will help him uh, get through every day. And I really, really loved this scene. I think it was very moving. So Bates is back. Mrs. Hughes, she's delighted to see him. And almost everyone is delighted because even Daisy said, well, I hope he will come back because uh, he always seemed a romantic figure to me. Well, Mosley is not really pleased because he wanted his job, but he has nothing against Bates. The only ones that are not pleased are obviously Thomas and O'Brien. And then it says what, uh, what happened, what changed, and, you know, the common lessons home and everything. And Thomas, Thomas is back, but I'm not a servant now. You know, I manage the house. I love what Bates says. Yet another reason to pray for peace. I think the first times I've seen the show, I haven't really paid attention to that line. But it's so funny because it's like, well, let's pray for peace so that you will not be in charge of Downton Abbey anymore. <laughs> O'Brien, she warns Bates. She says, well, Thomas is in charge now, okay? So... And it won't do to get on the wrong side of it. Is it our right side? I mean, I'm kind of glad that Mr. Bates is back just for those lines. But now Anna, when well, she's happy because she's like, well, you're back and we're going to uh, get through this together and, you know, you're going to get divorced and then we're going to get married and everything will be fine. Say, so I can bear anything except for you to go away. And he says, no, that's done that. You're stuck with me now. And O'Brien, she still is a bit angry at Bates. And she thinks actually it's him who reported Thomas to Dr. Clarkson, you know, about Daisy. And then after the concert, well, he says, you know, I think I'd forgotten what happiness is. Me too. But now we must get used to feeling happy. Well, I want to say, enjoy it while you can. Bananas. And O'Brien, she's still angry. And actually, Thomas doesn't really care. So I have other fish to fry. And when she's like, well, apparently, I hold a grudge longer than you. And that doesn't sound good at all. But now let's talk about Sybil and Branson. In the beginning, Mary and Violet are talking together. And at the moment, they talk about Sybil. And Violet, she's like, well, do you think she has someone in mind? And Mary's like, well, I don't think so. She's like, oh, this is, this is weird. <laughs> she says, I had an endless series of crushes at her age. Well, if you have seen the rest of the show and the second movie, yeah, I believe you, Violet. But you say, well, not even someone she doesn't care to mention. War breaks down barriers, and when peacetime re-erects them, it's very easy to find oneself on the wrong side. And I just love when Mary says to her, you cannot be so contrary. I'm a woman, Mary. I can be as contrary as I choose. And so then Sybil, she's with Branson and Mary sees them. And you can see the way that she looks at them, that she thinks 
there might be something because she think about her discussion with her grandmother. Sibu, she, she's kind of uh, a bit upset because Branson, he promised Carson to not cause any trouble. And she says, why would you promise that to Carson and not me? He promised that to Carson because Carson, he never said anything about, you know, the terrain with oil and sour milk and stuff that he wanted to uh, throw on the general. And well, she doesn't understand why he's not in Ireland. He says, The truth is, I'll stay in Downton until you want to run away with me. Don't be ridiculous. You're too scared to admit it, but you're in love with me. Well, I've never been a fan, I'm still not a fan of Sybil and Branson for that reason. It feels like Branson wants to persuade her that she's in love with him. It feels almost like, oh, but you don't understand your feelings, but I'm telling you, you're in love with me. Like, huh? Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm not against the fact that he's in love with her. Sometimes you can't really choose who you fall in love with, but telling her that she's in love with him, but she doesn't want to admit it. Like, uh, yeah, calm down a bit, man. I'm not sure that by telling her that it would make her fall in love with you. But then Mary, she talks with Sybil because she saw her with the chauffeur. And she says, well, I went to see him to ordering the motor, but what were you doing there if you didn't want to order the motor? And I like what Sybil says, you know, he's a person. He can just discuss other things than just journeys by road. And then, well, obviously, Mary, she realizes there's something because Sybil, she gets angry really quickly. And she says, okay, what do you want from me? Do you want me to look for, like, <laughs> to see if Richard Carlyle has a younger brother so I can marry this guy instead? And when Mary says, I'm on your side, and Sybil answers, then be on my side. It's quite funny because she says she's on her side, but the way she speaks to her in that scene, with a bit of a superior and snobbish tone, doesn't really feel like she's on her side. And then um, there's a scene where Sybil, she is alone outside as she thinks about what Branson said, I stay at downtown until you want to run away with me. And during dinner, the same dinner where we had Robert talking about Bates, Violet, she talks to her and she said, well, Sybil... You see, sometimes in war, one can make friendships that aren't quite appropriate and can be awkward, you know, later on. Appropriate for whom? Well, don't jump down my throat, dear. I'm only offering friendly advice. At that moment, uh, you see that Sybil, she's very uncomfortable because she thinks that Mary said something. So she looks at Mary, Mary, she's like, I haven't said anything. I quite like a bit Sybil, you know, appropriate for whom, like who said that I can't be friends with the chauffeur? Well, she's definitely a rebel. You realize that she has no intention to go back to the life that she had before the war. And then she's again with Mary and she's kind of a bit upset. She's like, you told granny. And Mary's like, no, I haven't said anything, but obviously she thinks you might have a, maybe a crush on someone. And if you haven't said anything, it's because, well, you're not supposed to have a crush on that person. And Sibyl said, well, I don't even know if I like him. And I like that she says that because I don't know. He says I'm in love with him, but I'm not sure, you know. And I like when she says, well, he's full of himself. She's like, yeah, no kidding. And just Mary, she, she made her promise that she would not do anything stupid. I don't know, like run away with the chauffeur, bananas. But Sybil, she promised that she would not do anything stupid. You realize that she's kind of confused because she says, I don't know if I like him that way. And then she, she goes to see Branson. 
And she tells him that she told her sister about them. So first he thinks, okay, so that's it. I'm sacked. And he's like, no, she won't say anything. And he's kind of happy. And he says, because that's the first time you've ever spoken about us. If you didn't care, you would have told them months ago. Oh, I see. Because I don't want you to lose your job. It must mean I'm madly in love with you. Well, doesn't it? And I love this uh, scene because I like when she says that, you know, oh, because I just don't want you to lose your job. That means I'm in love with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, calm down a bit, Branson, you know. And I don't like how he speaks to her. Like, in that scene, he talks to her like he's superior, but like superior in intelligence. Like, she's stupid, you know. Like, he even says to her, you're along with me, but you don't really realize it. And then she's right. She says, you asked me to give up my word. And say, oh, that's a high price. Well, yes, it's my family. It's my friends. It's, I love my parents. I love my sisters. I love my friends. Yeah, it's... It's hard because, and he says, oh, but they won't cast you forever. How do you know that? And I like when she says, and your people, will they accept me? And he doesn't say anything about it. But yeah, imagine first she's English and he's Irish. That is first problem. Then she's in, from the, the British aristocracy and he's Irish. So of course they would not like her. So it's easy to say that she can give up everything, you know, and that they, they come around by the fact that she is in love with the chauffeur. But will his family accept her? And I'm on her side. Truly, I'm on her side. And at that time, Branson, he gets on my nerves because he thinks that, well, he thinks he knows everything. And I absolutely do not like when he makes fun of her, makes fun of her job. When she says, what about my job? He says, oh, what a job, what you give like hot drinks to officers is not a job. And you see her face at that moment, she's really hurt. Because for the first time in her life, she felt useful and she felt like she had a purpose since she's a nurse. And he literally just told her what, what to do. It's not a real job. It doesn't matter. I don't know. This is, this is harsh and rude. And again, it's not by telling her that I, it will make her fall in love with him. Truly, I'm angry. I'm angry at Branson in this scene because, well, yes, he's older than her, but he really feels like he's... Well, he treats her like, she, like she's a child and she doesn't understand anything about life, about anything. And I'm angry. The fact that he thinks he knows her feelings more than she does. And even if she doesn't know it or she's not sure, I mean, she has the right to not be sure of her feelings. And you don't have the right to tell her, oh, yes, you're in love with me. He really gets on my nerves. And then he says, Look, it comes down to whether or not you love me. That's all. That's it. The rest is detail. And that makes me think about what Matthew said to Mary in episode seven of season one, when he says, this is black or white. Do you love me enough to spend your life with me? But the difference is he says that when she asks him about you people, will they accept me? So he doesn't even answer her because he knows that she's right. And he's so want to be, you know, if you love me, let's go away. <laughs> it's funny because every time I rewatch the show, I realize how their relationship I'm not a fan because I feel like he kind of pushes her to fall in love with him I don't know if you understand what I mean but yeah not really comfortable by the whole thing and then there was a scene that was cut and it's during the concert he comes to apologize to her because he spoke badly of her work and he comes to apologize about it and he says it's just that when I look at you not being sure if you're mine I feel I may explode I'm quite glad that this scene wasn't on the show because this makes me 
even angrier than I already was. Like the fact that he says, you not being sure if you're mine. Maybe it's just because I hate the whole word about your mind, I'm yours. I don't like the whole possession thing. But the fact that he thinks that she should be his, I don't know. I don't like it at all. Because I hate the whole your mind because if it's like you, someone's property. And I hate that. Maybe it's just my own person. Because for a long time in France, thanks to Napoleon, women were where the wives were the property of their husbands. But like property, like almost like furniture. And so I hate the whole your mind. Again, like he says, you're not sure that you're mine. I'm like, well, she has the right to not be sure. Because you can sometimes be confused by your feelings. And him being so insistent about the fact that she's in love with him, obviously she would be confused because she doesn't know if now she loves him because he said that she loves him or because she actually does. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know about you. I would love to hear your feelings about Tom and Sybil because I know there's a lot of people that love them. I, I think I love them after season three, which is kind of weird, but yeah, bananas. But I would love to hear your thoughts because if there are fans and fans of them since day one i would love to know why because this i'm angry it gets on my nerves so hard like really he needs to calm down now let's talk about mary because you know a complicated love life that is mary because you remember last episode uh we had rosamond and violet they were plotting to get lavinia out of matthew's life so that mary and matthew would get married and Mary, she says to Violet that she's sure Lavinia and Carlyle were not lovers, that she's done nothing wrong. She just gave him information to help someone she loved because he owed money and stuff. And I love what Violet says. And this is your beau, is it? A man who lends money then uses it to blackmail the recipient. He lives in a tough world. And will you be joining him there? Absolutely love it because, yes. No one, no one wants, wants Richard Carlyle to join the family. Violet talks about Matthew and Mary's like, it's done, finished. Like, you need to get over it. Like, we all need to get over it because it's never going to happen. He's in love with Lavinia. He's going to marry her. So, yeah, there's no chance for him and me anymore. And then uh, Robert, he comes to see her because he had a letter from Sir Richard Carlyle and he said that he proposed when he was there and so he's asking his permission now because he kind of forgot to ask Robert before proposing to marry. So he's asking now. I really love this scene because I love Robert's expression through the whole scene. He said, well, have you given him an answer? And he's like, well, no, but I have made a decision and I think I should take him. And Robert's like, really? Like, you really want to marry this guy? I wish I could believe in your motives. Why? What were your motives when you married Mama? Your mother has made me very happy. I love this because, again, he feels so ashamed by the fact that he didn't love Cora when he married her, that when she says that, it's almost like a slap to his face and you see how his expression changes. You know, like, okay, okay, I married your mother for money, but now she's my everything, okay? Well, we know there's trouble in paradise in season two, but, you know, he says it, she has made me very happy. I'm sure because even if he married Cora for her money, she must have been very lovely and I'm sure he liked her. I'm sure they were kind of friends. That's why he married her. I don't think it's only for the money. I think he liked her too, you know. But when he sees Carla, he's like, I'm not sure he will make you happy. 
I don't like the guy. And then he says it. He says, but what about Matthew? And Mary, she's like, no, you, you need to stop about Matthew. Okay, he's in love with Lavinia. He's going to marry her. Stop with Matthew. And so he tells her that she should write to him to tell him that she's engaged with Carlyle. And she does. She sends a letter, a letter to Matthew. And she says that she looks forward to introducing the two of them and, and stuff. But all the way through, she keeps saying that her and Matthew, it's over. It's finished. It's done. It's ancient history. And when Matthew is back, they actually talk about Richard Carlyle. He said, well, I had your letter. He says, well, I'm sure I will like him, you know, if I met him properly, because I haven't really met him properly. So I'm sure I will like him. That's if he's good to you. If he's not, he'll have me to answer to so it's quite tricky because Mary, she says that she's done with Matthew, but you're like, uh-huh, do not believe you. And Matthew, whatever he says, but I'm in love with Lavinia, he's not over Mary either. So let's talk about Matthew and William. So we said that Mary, she sent a letter to Matthew, and so he reads them when he's in the trenches. And so you see that he has a picture of Lavinia. But when with William, they go on a patrol, he takes Mary's little doggy that she gave him. And I love it because we see that a lot. She gave it to him as a lucky charm, but he keeps it because it's Mary who gave it to him, okay? I mean, you cannot make me believe that it's just because she said it was a lucky charm. She, he keeps it because it's Mary's. And something that I thought was quite interesting is that William, he calls Mary, Mary. Because if he was still a footman, he would call her Lady Mary. He calls her Mary. Look, you see really that at war, there's no like social classes does not really matter anymore. He's not uh, a footman anymore. He is a soldier. He's the servant of Matthew, but he's the soldier. So he doesn't have to call her Lady Mary. And I thought that was quite interesting. And they said that apparently they would go and leave really soon. Matthew, he didn't tell Mary that he was coming back, but uh, William, he told Daisy that he's coming back to Downton. So they're on patrol. And at the moment, German soldiers ambush them and start shooting at them. So they're like, okay, I don't like what I'm seeing right now. And Daisy, she's worried because, like I said, William was supposed to be back on leave. So she tells to Mrs. Hughes that she's worried. That's the scene when she mentions Mr. Bates working in the pub. And because she's worried, she asks Edith. She says William was supposed to be back on leave with Captain Crawley and he isn't back and I'm worried. And I like what Edith says. She says, is William your beau? And they're like, well, no, I will, I will not really say this like that. We're all fond of William. Because Daisy, she's still a bit uncomfortable by the idea of William want, wanting to marry her. But so because she's worried, Edith, she asks Robert. She says, well, apparently they were supposed to be back and... They're not here. Robert's like, well, maybe there's a lot of explanation, but I would try to see what I can do, what I can find, if I can find information. And then uh, after the dinner, the famous dinner where Robert talked about Bates, Violet talked to Sybil. Robert, he has a phone call. Uh, when he has the phone call, Edith is with him. And so he tells her that apparently Matthew and William are missing. Where they went on a patrol and they never came back. They don't know where they are, so technically they're missing. I like this moment. I thought this was really sweet. So all the ladies are coming out of the dining room and it is because she heard that something might be wrong after the, the phone call that she stayed and she asked her father what happened. And I think this is a really sweet tender moment because Adam, he uh, takes her hand and um, 
I think that was really stupid. I said, do not say a word to anybody right now because we don't know. Maybe they're missing, maybe they're dead, maybe they will reappear. We don't know. And Mrs. Yu, she keeps telling to Daisy, you should not be worried right now because we do not know a lot now. We will know more. And when we, we know more, you can worry after that because there could be a lot of explanation to why they're not here. And O'Brien, she says, well, well, one of the explanation is that they're dead. But the way she says that, you realize that her expression is, she does not say that to be mean. She says that because it can be the truth. And, you know, she even says, I hope very much that they're not. So you see a softer side of her because she really doesn't want to upset Daisy. She just says, we need to prepare to the fact that they might be dead. Oh, and Mrs. Hughes, she's a bit angry. She's like, well, maybe they're not. Why are you always imagining the worst? But I do not blame O'Brien to think that because she didn't say it to her Daisy. But Daisy, she's still worried because she doesn't know anything. So it's like Mrs. Parkmore said when um, her nephew uh, went missing. It was like, well, we rather know the worst and just not know anything. But then Edith, she tells Mary and she tells her, well, Papa said I wasn't supposed, supposed to tell you, but I think it's not right. And she says, I'm not trying to upset you, truly. For once in my life, I believe you. And I am absolutely not angry at Edith. I think she did the right thing because I do believe it was not right for her to know and not Mary. She had the right to know. Yeah, and then you realize that Mary, she's really sad. And she uh, talks with Anna and she says, well, I just wish that Edith would have waited till morning because maybe I would have faced it better if I had one more night of sleep. And then Anna says, everybody knows downstairs. Well, everybody knows, I think, except her ladyship. So again, Robert wanted to, I don't know if it's treating her like a child, but it's a way that he thinks that he wants to keep them from harm. You know, like Mary and his wife, like they're tough. They can handle it. And I think it, you can handle it better if you're not alone to handle it. I don't know if you understand what I mean. And then when Cora comes back from Quarry House, you know, when she has given food to the men of the village, she goes up the stairs and Robert, he looks at her. And the way he looks at her, you realize that he's thinking, maybe I should tell her. And so he tells her that Matthew is missing. And she even says, why are you only telling me that now? And she says, perhaps I, I envied your ignorance. But I'm still not happy with the fact that he didn't tell her right away. And I like the fact that one of the first things she thinks is Isabel doesn't know because they're parted badly, the two of them. But she's the one thinking she doesn't know that her son is missing. Someone needs to tell her that. And I really like it because, again, it's not because that they had a fight with the management of the house that she hates her. This is proof that Cora is a really nice person. I mean, I'm not sure you doubted that, but if you doubted it, then, you know. And I said, well, we need to say it to Mary. And Mary, she heard it, so she comes into Cora's room. and said, well, Edith told me. Now, first, Robert thought, well, she told you because, you know, she it's Edith and you war, you know, between Mary, Edith and all that. And so Mary says, well, I don't think Edith had bad intention for once. Like, I think she told me because she thought I should know. And so then Cora said, well, we need to go down because the concert will start. And as first, Mary's like, well, <laughs> who cares about the concert? Like, really? And Robert said, well, the men do. This concert helps bring their spirits up, so we will go to the concert. And he says, because we have to keep going, whatever happens. We have to help each other to keep going. When Robert and Cora go out of the room, Cora, she squeezes Mary's hand. And that was not in the script book because I read it. And nowhere it's written, Cora squeezes Mary's hand. And I love that because 
Well, they all know, I think, that Mary is still in love with Matthew, but it's Cora the first who asked Mary if she was in love with Matthew. And Mary said, well, I think perhaps I do. It's the first person she confessed the fact that she was in love with him. So, of course, she's not stupid. Like, you can't just unlove someone just like that. So she knows that Mary is still in love with him. That him missing is really hard. You can see on her face. So I like the, just this little sign and gesture of comfort. And because recently on Tumblr, there has been a whole analysis of Cora's character and her actually saying, I love you with her gesture and her holding hands. So that is a, quite a good illustration of it. And I love just this shot of Mary looking at her reflection in uh, the glass in her mother's bedroom. Her expression, you just realize how bad she feels. Actually, at this moment in the script book that was written, she is in hell. So now it's time for my music of the day. And it's a Taylor Swift song because when actually, when I saw this episode and Mary and Matthew, I thought about this song. And it's a bit of a long clip of music. You know, the episodes are getting longer, the clip from the show are getting longer, so not even the music are getting longer, but I didn't know where to cut it because it's so good. So, you know, I just enjoy. So that was If This Was a Movie, so by Taylor Swift. It's not Taylor's version because it is not out yet. I absolutely love this song and I think it's a really good image for what is happening into Mary's head. Because since the beginning we know that she's still in love with Matthew and I think Parver really wants him to just say, Mary, I love you, let's get married. <laughs> and you have really this, because now he's missing and she just realized that I think in her head, maybe imagine if he's dead and I'm never going to see him again, I should have told him that I was still in love with him. Exactly what Carson uh, told her to do. No one in the song say, uh, I just wanted the way it was before, before the fight, before I locked you out. So before what happened when Cora was pregnant and you had this whole like, should I take him because if it's a boy, he would not be the heir anymore, you know, uh, all that. She can't stop thinking about him, whatever she says. She can't stop thinking about him. And so obviously, if life was a movie, he would be here, we would be together again, and he would tell me that he loves me, and I love him, and we would get married. So you have a lot of things, you have the fact that technically he's engaged to someone else, and now the fact that he's missing, and maybe she will never see him again, and he doesn't know that she is still in love with him. And then during the concert, so Violet, she learned the news by Cora. She says, Cora told me that Matthew is missing. So apparently no one thought to tell her. So Cora was not the, the last one to know. Violet was. Which is 
not something that happened a lot. Usually Violet is the first one to know, or one of the first. And this is maybe maybe one of the only times that she's the last one to know about important stuff. And she says, well, I'm not going to be worried a lot until uh, we know more about it. And then like when uh, Robert says, well, I'm happy to see that you would be anxious by the fact that maybe Matthew is missing. And he said, well... Well, you Mr. Matthew now. God knows who the next heir will be. Probably a, a chimney sweep from Solihull. And then so Mary, she sings. So she sings the song, If You Were the Only Girl in the World. And then while she's singing, Matthew and William comes in and she stops and you see at her face like, I don't think she realized what she's saying. She's like, is this real? So everybody, they turn to look what she's looking at. And they're all surprised, but delighted, she even says to herself, thank God. And she can breathe again, like, oh my God, you're here, you're back safe and sound. And they're all really happy. And then Matthew, he comes to Mary and he sings, so the rest of the song. And so they sing together and you realize Mary, she's fighting not to cry. I think she, she doesn't believe her eyes at that moment. She's like, oh my God, Matthew is home. And I think if she could have, she would run to him and kiss him, literally. And even William and Daisy, you see how Daisy, you realize she's relieved too that William is back. And so after the concert, Matthew, he explains to Robert and Mary uh, what happened and stuff. Then he's only with uh, Mary and she's like, what do you, you do? And he says, well, since mother isn't here, maybe I will go see Lavinia. And the moment he says Lavinia, you see Mary, her expression kind of changed. Like, oh, yes, true. That's all right. You have a fiance. And it's at that moment that uh, they talk about Carlisle. But you realize at the end, he, he kind of turned a bit awkward because, she, yeah, again, she realized that he is engaged. And Daisy and William, it was a bit awkward, too, because she says, well, I'm glad you're OK. I really am. And he says, well, it's the thought of you that keeps me going. And you realize how uncomfortable she is because like, well, yeah, but I don't want to get married to you. And to be honest, I really believe that maybe she, she's not madly in love with him, but I think she kind of loves him. And maybe she doesn't really understand her feelings, but I think she likes him more than she thinks she does. You know what I mean? Maybe because she has this whole thing of I've been forced to, Mrs. Parmore asked me to, and she kind of went into it that she thinks all her feelings are not real. But in my opinion, she likes him much more than she says she does. Or maybe much more than what she thinks she does. And the fact that Edith asked her, is he your beau? Because she thought about it because she's the one concerned. And she's the one of all of them. She was the one that was more concerned. So like, so maybe she's not madly in love with him. But I do not believe that she only likes him. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if you agree with me. But yeah. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, just before wrapping this up, a little explanation on the title. The title was found by my friend Sofiane. If you have listened to my special episode on Downton Abbey, A New Era, is my friend who did it with me. Like I said, the episode is called The One With The Only Boy and it's a reference to the song because the song that Mary sings, uh, she says, if you were the only girl in the world and I was the only boy, it's when she sings that that Matthew arrives. It's a bit about William too, because he's an only boy. He's an only child to his father. And it's about Matthew because, well, it's the heir. Like the, not the only heir, but we don't know who the other heir might be. He's like a son to Robert, like his only son. And he even says, when Matthew arrives in the library, he even says, my dear boy, my very dear boy. So again, 
only boy. And well, he's the only one for Mary. It's definitely them too, you know. He's the only girl, he's the only boy. Even if he's engaged to Lavinia, we know deep down that he's in love with Mary. So yeah, maybe you didn't need an explanation, but I wanted to give one anyway. So yeah, now it's finally it for this episode. Again, it's long. I need to stop saying that because maybe now you're used to it. My episodes are more than one hour long. That's how it is. But I hope you enjoyed it. As usual, if you did and if you want, you can send me a message anywhere you want. And I will see you next Sunday to talk about episode 5 of season 2 of Downton Abbey. Until then, take care of yourself and don't forget... Vive la différence! <laughs>